Before we get started today, I'd like to take a moment to let our listeners know that we have launched our new Buy Me A Coffee memberships. Now, when you subscribe monthly for the price of one to five coffees, you also get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, the ability to ask us questions directly, as well as a special shout-out here on our podcasts. So head to Buy Me A Coffee and subscribe, and starting next week, you can hear your name on Explaining Brazil. If you cannot support us on a monthly basis, you can still tip us a coffee to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. Head to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. Back in 2018, Brazil's electoral courts showed just how unprepared they were to deal with misinformation online, often playing catch-up to campaigns' transgressions. Only in October 2021, three full years after the 2018 election, did the Superior Electoral Court draw a line in the sand by impeaching a state lawmaker who had used social media to spread false information. Still, the judicial system is traditionally much less reactive when the stakes are higher. And big tech firms, who own the platforms where this information is spread, have been lax in their efforts to eradicate fake news. In 2018, Meta's WhatsApp Messenger was a key channel for disinformation in Brazil. But this time around, the bad guy for authorities is Telegram. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. During the 2018 elections, many candidates, especially Jair Bolsonaro, used social media at will to spread misinformation about their opponents and try to connect with different clusters of voters through micro-targeted campaigns. While it would be inaccurate to say that Bolsonaro won the election just through misinformation alone, his chances were certainly boosted by spreading fake news on WhatsApp Messenger and Facebook. Since then, WhatsApp has taken some steps towards limiting bulk messaging practices. However, when one app shuts a door, another leaves a window wide open. Messaging app Telegram, founded in Russia and now based in Dubai, has become the new go-to political weapon. It's encrypted, it makes it easier to send thousands of simultaneous messages, and it's one of the fastest-growing apps in Brazil. Andres Pigadiol, you have been covering anti-fake news regulations for candidates and politicians for the Brazilian Report. So, how big is Telegram in Brazil? It's very big. It's not quite WhatsApp big, but it's growing considerably fast. In 2018, only 15% of smartphone users in Brazil had Telegram. By last month, almost half of them used it. That's quite impressive. So, how did that happen? Well, ironically, it started with WhatsApp. In recent years, Brazilian judges have become disgruntled with WhatsApp and Facebook's unwillingness to cooperate with authorities in criminal investigations. On multiple occasions, law enforcement wanted to access private data of WhatsApp users suspected of running drug rings. 
The company didn't play ball and courts blocked the, the app in Brazil before being quickly overturned by higher courts. But messaging apps are super popular in Brazil and 98% of phones in the country have WhatsApp. SMS in Brazil is still paid for and is annoyingly expensive. So these free messaging apps spread like wildfire. So every time WhatsApp was taken down, even if only for a few hours, it caused havoc for Brazilians. Pretty quickly, they found out about Telegram as a reliable alternative. Market research firm 42 Matters say Telegram is now the third most downloaded communication app in Brazil's Google Play Store. So that's how Telegram has gotten so big, or is there something more to it? There is, yeah. So watchdogs in multiple countries like Mexico and India started to demand measures from WhatsApp to curb inauthentic accounts such as bots, which would send thousands of messages instantly for political purposes. So WhatsApp imposed limits on groups and forwarding messages, making it really hard to spread content in an uncontrolled way. But Telegram imposes no restriction whatsoever. It's a bit of a free-for-all. So that's why these political groups on WhatsApp are migrating to Telegram. Pretty much, yeah. President Bolsonaro, for instance, is a heavy Telegram user. He constantly posts about the accomplishments of his administration, bashes adversaries, and tries to reach out to as many people as he can. His official Telegram channel has over 1 million members, and there are a bunch of other fan-created groups as well. So, should I assume that authorities have not tried to do the same with Telegram and limit its mass messaging capabilities, or, I mean, are they trying to do something? Brazil's electoral court has reached out to Telegram to ask for cooperation, and Supreme Court Justice Luiz Roberto Barroso even wrote a letter requesting a meeting with Telegram CEO Pavlo Durov in December. But the company has just ignored them, leaving them on read, if you will. Huh. As a matter of fact, defying authorities is ingrained in Telegram's DNA. The app was created as a way to allow communications to flow, quote, beyond the reach of governments. In practical terms, that means it has become a powerful and unregulated echo chamber to spread misinformation. But this is not just happening in Brazil, is it? No, it is not. German authorities believe Telegram has become the thread that ties together a series of violent incidents involving Germany's anti-lockdown movement. There is some talk of banning it in the country. And Brazil has suggested the possibility of banning Telegram too, but it would be not that straightforward to do it, right? Because Brazil's general data protection law and the country's internet legal framework only allow for services to be banned under extreme circumstances. And Telegram doesn't even have a legal representation in Brazil. So how would courts reach Telegram? Well, there is one way. Brazil's lower house is currently about to analyze the so-called fake news bill. And what does that say? One article says that all apps with over 10 million users in the country would have to have legal representation in Brazil. Otherwise, they wouldn't be allowed to operate. That's definitely a big deal, and it would create better oversight over social media companies. And the bill will also limit book messaging tools and establish controls over messaging lists, while demanding reports from social media platforms on its moderation of unlawful or false content. And when does the House plan to put this to a vote? Speaker Arthur Lira has promised a vote until March, but it's quite a bold pledge, as the mood around the bill is pretty much unfavorable. 
Something regulating the spread of fake news just a few months before an election simply can't be easy to pass, can it? Exactly. Most frontbenchers from center and center-right parties are against the bill in its current form. The left is more favorable, partially because the current draft was written by opposition congressman Orlando Silva, but the left won't win this battle without gathering support from the other side of the aisle. Party whips have already told Silva that the current draft can't go to a floor vote as it is, and it would need changes. So, there is considerable doubt about whether it could pass in time for the October election. So, is the justice system active on any other fronts regarding misinformation online and social media use? Well, there is a push from some Supreme Court justices to treat social media platforms as media outlets and hold them accountable for the content they allow users to post. And there is precedent for holding candidates accountable for what they post online. Last year, the Superior Electoral Court impeached a state lawmaker who, in 2018, used his social media channels to disparage the country's electronic voting system. Local courts opposed punishing the politicians, saying social media cannot be considered a medium for mass communication. Prosecutors appeal, and high courts ruled that the inappropriate use of Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram profiles could provide grounds for impeachment. Of course, a case involving a state lawmaker is low stakes. It remains to be seen how the courts will act in a national dispute. Especially because the president has been arguably the highest profile critic of Brazil's electronic voting system, claiming that it is rigged against him and that he will lose re-election unless Brazil has printed ballots this year. I mean, this ship has sailed because uh, uh, an electoral reform did not pass in time. Uh, but on numerous occasions, Bolsonaro threatened not to let the vote happen if it wasn't uh, allowed the change he wants for the electoral system. But one justice who is overseeing an investigation into fake news rings said the courts won't accept a repeat of what happened in 2018. And what are the chances of that happening? Well, Chief Electoral Justice Edson Fachin tasked six of his clerks to create an anti-disinformation bureau within his office. Sources in the Superior Electoral Court told me that President Bolsonaro is the likely target of this newly created task force. Andres Pegariol covers politics and foreign affairs for the Brazilian Report. Andres, thank you for being back on the show. Thanks, Gustavo. See you soon. After the break, a look into Brazilians' behavior on social media. We'll be right back. We at The Brazilian Report have launched an in-depth report telling you everything you need to know to prepare yourself for this year in Brazil. You might already know that Brazil will elect a new president in October, and there are several other issues you should be aware of, such as the impacts of China's recent transformations on Brazil, the extreme climate events that will affect Brazilian agriculture, the state of congressional elections, and which way the economy is likely to go. You can purchase the report on our website and all of our listeners can enjoy a special 22% discount. Just use the promo code EXPLAINING22.
President Jair Bolsonaro and former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva dominate the world of social media just like they dominate the polls for the next presidential elections. Exclusive data from Newsweep, a media monitoring company, shows that stories related to either one of the two frontrunners track way more than those about any of their contenders. And to look deeper into the data, we welcome Benedict Nicholson, Newsweep's head of research and editorial. Ben, thanks for joining us. So, Ben, unsurprisingly, the data shows us that Jair Bolsonaro and Lula are by far the biggest drivers of engagement on Brazilian social media. You guys have analyzed many countries. So, uh, what is the main, the key factors that allow politicians to drive engagement? Yeah, um, you're right to say, yeah, we've done, we've done a few of these. And I think there are a few key factors for this. Um, having, having a lot of followers can be a part of it because it means you've got an online presence and often an online community of people that are at least interested in what you have to say in some way. But th this analysis is a little bit different from purely measuring, uh, you know, someone's social media followers or the engagement on their posts, because this is engagement to the stories that are written about people. So they have to be at least of a certain level of profile for uh, the media to be paying enough attention to them, that enough stories are written and shared by people that, um, you know, are then engaged broadly. So unsurprisingly, you see people like Bolsonaro, Lula um, start to get more engagement because, you know, we looked at, at Lula, he had more than 100,000 articles written about him. Bolsonaro had more than 300,000 articles written about him. So that puts them in a place where, you know, there's just a lot of information about them. So people are going to share it and engage with it. So it does tend to be the front runners, but it also... Um, The increased polarization that we've seen around the world um, is also a factor. So, you know, uh, uh, there's, a, there's always a lot of polarization and polarizing articles in particular can be a, a driver of engagement. Yeah. So taking a look at the articles about the main candidates, the data shows that the most engaging ones are either those idolizing them or trashing them with blows below the waistline. Something I found interesting in the data is that while Bolsonaro and Lula are more or less head to head on total engagement, the average number of engagements per article is much higher in those around Lula instead of those around Bolsonaro. What does that tell us? Yeah, so and and that averages out that uh, Lula is then actually pretty close to uh, Bolsonaro in in total engagement. So the data that we've seen is, I mean, some of the articles are critical of Lula. I, I know you shared that um, as well in in the piece that you wrote about it. But it, honestly, a lot of the engagement to Lula that really drove his engagement up. He he had nearly eighteen million um, of his. 100 million or so engagements. Um, so nearly a fifth of the total engagements to Lula this year came when uh, when he was cleared of the of the corruption charges um, back in in uh, early March. So that was really a huge moment for Lula, and and that was when you know his supporters rallied around and and really shared shared those articles and took that as part of the narrative to to propel him him forward. And that's that's really when we saw a huge spike in uh, engagement to Lula, and then. Since then, it's kind of it's alternated back and forth between Bolsonaro and, and Lula um, being being the leader. There was there was a brief moment when uh, Alexandre de Moraes was ahead, but that was only a, a week or two. It's it's mostly been Bolsonaro and Lula. 
since then. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's in line with the polling. So it's, it's kind of what you'd expect um, in terms of, you know, those are the, obviously the two, the two front runners and, and those are the people that get written about the most. And Lula has this big, big ground. So he has this advantage in the polls as well. So it's, it's unsurprising to really see he has a high, high level of engagement. And you did a similar analysis about the U.S.'s most engaging politicians. Looking at both countries' data, where do Brazil and the U.S. Uh, meet and where do they differ? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's in, the, in the polarization um, is, is where they meet, certainly. I mean, it's, you know, the, the articles are either kind of, as you said, often attack pieces from, from uh outlets that align themselves with whatever the opposite side of the candidate is, um, or they are kind of really gushing messages of, look how amazing this person is, this is what they've done. So there's a lot there. Um, in Brazil, what I'd say is uh, the, there tends to be, the, there are more, um, more a higher number rather of, of prominent figures when we did the US analysis, just because there are, are people like Ron DeSantis, who's the governor of Florida, that really get a lot of attention from um, supportive conservative media. So there's there's kind of this search for uh, who the next presidential candidate will be, potentially, whether it's Donald Trump or whether it's someone else. Um, whereas in Brazil, I think we kind of already know who the two the two front runners are, because obviously the, the election is this year, whereas in, U in the US, we have the midterms this year, but the next presidential election isn't until 2024. So there's kind of still this mix of who the who the big figures are going to be. Um, with that. So maybe a, a wider range of people get a lot of attention, whereas as we saw in the Brazil one, it's, it's really, it boils down to Bolsonaro and Lula. And I think it's worth analyzing exactly where these mentions and articles are coming from, because we have seen a spate of dubious right-wing media outlets popping up in the last few years. Are these the sources driving this high engagement? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's a great question. Uh, it, it, it's interesting. <laughs> the definition of misinformation, at least in the US, has definitely evolved since the 2016 election, when there was a lot more kind of outright fake news, you know, things that were obviously false that, that were shared widely online. Whereas now, at least here, and in, in other English speaking countries, you see a lot more um, kind of gray zones where things are shared without context or there are you know facts that are reported in a certain way that like while they may be facts that it's kind of nudge nudge wink winks to the audience and it's you know maybe with a, a, a different narrative around those facts than than maybe is is the fairest way to interpret them um i do think it, it it does happen um especially you know sometimes sometimes even um politicians share them so I, there are at least a couple of examples i'm sure in within within the data set that we sent you of, of bolsonaro actually sharing one of those articles on its face on his facebook page and then it gets a, a huge boost for for the little while that's up there so it, it's definitely you know that gray zone of misinformation is definitely something we've seen as a trend in the last couple of years where If people try and say, oh, that's false, then people defend it by saying, oh, but actually this part of it's true. So it's not really. So then it's about trust as much as anything. People don't know who to trust right now, I think, is is one of the big problems. So people trust in, in their communities as much as anything, and especially in these online communities. Um, if someone shares an article in, you know, in a group or in a, a text chain or WhatsApp chain or whatever, then, you know, that's that's where people are drawing their trust from rather than these mainstream outlets that people trusted used to trust for a long time and that that trust has kind of collapsed in the last 
five, 10 years or so, I would say. Now, you just mentioned uh, messaging chains. And Newsweep analyzes platforms like Facebook and Twitter. But how did WhatsApp and Telegram change the game in terms of misinformation spread? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it just allows people to <laughs> to kind of hide hide in different places, potentially, is is, is the worry, I think. Um, yeah, it's it, it's just, it, it's much more of a closed network. So analysts have much less idea of, of what's going on and, and what's being said. Um, and, you know, some of the bigger platforms uh, don't have it that way. And, and for better or for worse, like we can see what's happening on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on, on YouTube to a certain extent. So, you know, that at least we can do some level of analysis, which is, is good for us because we, we can share this kind of data with you and we can have a chat about misinformation and and what's being shared and all that kind of stuff but you know in in some other platforms we're, we're just unable to do that so it, it makes it very difficult for us to even you know fact check that information or or uh, or for fact checkers to fact check that information rather and and to to combat those misleading narratives it, it can then be quite difficult unless you're actively you know involved in some of those groups and can see what's going on well, Ben, we have talked about updating this monitoring a few times until Election Day, and that will offer a good window around what are the real issues driving Brazilian voters, right? I do think this this kind of analysis that, that you asked us to help you with um, is, is really important. I think, you know, it's, it, there's often a very different idea, especially amongst the media, of like what's resonating with people. So I think this is a really good way of like not only measuring what's being written by the media, but also what's actually resonating with people and the stories that are actually making a difference to how people perceive certain things. And, you know, some of the, some of the misinformation narratives you talked about earlier, like people would not necessarily ever know what's happening. Um, if, if they don't do this kind of work and people make assumptions about, oh, Twitter is setting the narrative, but actually like a lot of this engagement happens on Facebook. So there's, you just got to look <laughs> almost everywhere to, to, keep, to keep up with this stuff. So I think the more monitoring we can do, the, the, better, the better it is for the kind of health of the media ecosystem so that we can know what's, what's happening out there and, and what people are reading and what people are sharing. Ben, thank you very much. Have a good one. Thank you, you too. Thanks for having me. Newsweep is a real-time media monitoring platform. They use data to predict the stories and topics that will matter, help companies manage crisis, and create strategies to engage. Benedict Nicholson is their head of research and editorial. And if you like Explaining Brazil, please drop us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes a second and it will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you.